This is episode 28 of the You, Me, and BTC podcast. Thanks for tuning in this week. Today, we're talking about all kinds of stolen bitcoins. First, we'll chat about several well-known bitcoiners whose funds were stolen from web wallets. We'll talk about two-factor authentication and the new mycelium entropy both of which can help protect you from also losing coins. Later, we'll discuss the coins stolen very recently from a French cryptocurrency trading ring and those stolen a while ago from the Silk Road. Stick around. Your hosts are Tim Baker, John Stewart, and myself, Daniel Brown. Here we go. Hey guys, we are back again. It's the You, Me, and BTC podcast. We want to welcome everybody. Uh, there's all three of us here again today. It's been a while since we've done a normal episode just sitting down with the three of us. I'm Daniel Brown, and I'm here with Tim. Hello. And John. Hey. Uh, so yeah, we're pretty excited to just kind of have a normal episode, sit down for, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour and just talk. Got a couple things lined up for today. But before we get started, actually, there's one thing I want to mention. Uh, well, first of all, we do have a Twitter. The handle is at you, me, and BTC, just like you would expect. And we want to let you guys know that we are planning on reading some of your tweets. So if you want to get on the show or have you know your comment or whatever on the show, go ahead and tweet at us or tweet to us or whatever that's called. Yeah, just make sure you mention us at you, me, and BTC. Then we'll see. We'll go through our tweets and we'll probably read some on the show. And if there are questions, we can respond and things like that. So go ahead and follow us and leave us a tweet. But anyway, so we wanted to move on a little bit. We've been also kind of with Twitter. We we all have Twitter and follow people. And we've been noticing kind of on Twitter this kind of a trend. I don't know. A lot of people were talking about two-factor authentication, and there were people at the conference that we went to that had lost the, some of their Bitcoins somehow. I think Tim's kind of on top of that. What's going on, Tim? I wouldn't say I'm on top of it. I've just been following what people have been saying on Twitter. Um, most have heard it from Mad Bitcoins and Davi Barker's, both of his accounts, his um, Bitcoin Not Bombs, and then his more personal page. But I don't think Mad Bitcoins had anything stolen. I know that Davi Barker had some stolen, and the Free Aid had some stolen, as well as the Nourishing Liberty, which she does like a. I'm looking at her website now. It's her name is Liz Reitzig. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, but she does a lot of. I mean, it's basically a blog. She talks about libertarianism and like organic food, stuff like that. That's why it's called Nourishing Liberty. Not just organic food, but just, I guess, like, the health food stuff. But anyway, I'm looking at her post right now about how she had them stolen. She says, I bought a few when they were pretty low, and she'd been adding to her collection. She'd kept her wallet on Coinbase, which I hadn't really known exactly how this stuff was getting stolen from before, but it sounds like something that 
happened to uh, one of my Facebook friends where he even had two-factor authentication on his and oh, the hack... Two-factor authentication. <laughs> Wait, what? A- two-factor authentication? <laughs> <laughs> just just go. Keep going. Wait, what am I doing? I don't understand. Just keep going. You're good. All right, whatever. And even with that, they were still able to hack into it. Uh, but anyway, she says that she was... She kept her wallet on Coinbase and was in the process of transferring the majority of it to a paper wallet. She was saying she doesn't, she's not like a hugely technical person, so she was trying to be careful and make sure she didn't just send Bitcoins to a paper wallet and then not understand how to get them back. Turns out she didn't get them to the paper wallet quick enough because one day she said it basically happened, she could basically see it happening in real time because she just got a bunch of emails saying that from her her Authy app, which is what I've used for Coinbase. And it kept telling her that her account had been reset and to click a link to verify it. And it turns out her email and her Coinbase account had both been hacked. And so she basically got on to her email and her Coinbase and switched the passwords on both of those and she got on, and it, it was only a few minutes after they had sent all of her Bitcoin to another address. So, and then this happened to a few other people. And I guess just what, I mean, it's good that these people, uh, I mean, they're sad, and obviously it's not a good thing for them to go through, but they're all just now pushing everyone to be, and just be careful with your Bitcoins, don't hold them someplace where it can get hacked, if you have a decent amount of Bitcoins or anything that you don't need, even with having it on a paper wallet, it's not that difficult to just get it onto, like, you can just scan it into mycelium or something like that. But if you have any amount of Bitcoins, don't have it in a web wallet, and don't even have it on a, uh, like, a Bitcoin core or whatever, just a brow- uh, a desktop wallet. Just get it onto paper, because it's a lot harder to hack into, it's a lot harder for them to steal. I mean, basically, only then they'd have to somehow get your private keys from the paper. Yeah, that's that's uh, kind of yeah. one of the difficult things with Bitcoin at the moment. I mean, as great as it is, it still is a little difficult to keep them really as secure as they should be. You know, it's just, there will be ways, you know, in the future that make it easy to to secure them more and everything like that, I think, just as people develop things and come up with ideas. But just in general, yeah, that's not the easiest thing to do at the moment, uh, securing your Bitcoins. It's just takes a little bit of work. If you want to have kind of an offline wallet on like a computer or something, you know, you have to go through quite a bit of setup. You probably want to keep it offline and make sure there's no viruses. and, And even if you do all that right, you never know if once you do want to send a transaction, you do have to connect to the internet to actually make the transaction happen, and that can make you vulnerable and things like that. So, yeah, just in general, it's it's not the easiest thing in the world to keep your coins super safe. Uh, it is doable, but it's just not super easy. One thing that we wanted to mention that helps with, and this goes for anything with Bitcoin or anything that you keep secure, email, any accounts that you have, things like that, 
Uh, and this is something they were tweeting about quite a bit too, but that's two factor authentication, which you tried to say, Tim, but what was I saying? You were saying authentication, but it's authentication. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I guess I kind of remember that now. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I see mad bitcoins. One tweet says I've seen more bitcoins stolen than I will ever own. And from the best people, uh, this is all caps, no more paper plus two FA, which is two factor authentication. Actually, it's pretty interesting that he mentioned it's from the best people because that's an important point. You know, it can happen to anybody, even if you're a Bitcoin expert and know everything about Bitcoin, you still can be hacked or things can be stolen or, you know, a virus or whatever. And it's kind of interesting. Might be worth mentioning our, uh, our interview with Andreas Antonopoulos. And we thought it was kind of interesting when he told us, now this was a scam. It wasn't a hack or anything, but he's the chief security officer of blockchain. Like it's his job to keep people's Bitcoin safe. And even he was, you know, and that's been his job for however many years, probably 10 or 20, uh, not with Bitcoin, but just in general in the security field. But he's, yeah, that's what, even he was scammed out of 500 bucks. Now that was with counterfeit money, but still the point is this kind of thing can happen to anybody. But yeah, then what I, what I was saying in the first place is the two-factor authentication. If you don't know what that is, or if you don't have it yet, you definitely want to get that on as many things as you can. Basically what it is, I actually don't know the background details of how it works, but I can tell you the way you use it is whenever you log into your account, you know, you have your normal password and you still put that in, but the reason it's called two-factor is because there's a second factor, and that is normally that's kind of a code. Sometimes they will text it to you. Or you can get an app on your phone like Authy or Google Authenticator, I think is what it's called. And what those apps do, and again, this is the part that I don't fully understand how they make this happen, but they link to your account kind of and generate this code that changes every few minutes or seconds or whatever. And yeah, somehow they just know what is a valid code and So basically, if I want to log into Coinbase, I'll type in my password, and then I will have to put in the second code too. I think with Coinbase, I think I actually have SMS, which is where they just text me the special second code. Yeah, mine started doing that now. Like It used to be I'd just use the Authy app, and it would just show it, and it'd be like, this is good for 20 seconds. But then, for whatever reason now, anytime I've done it, and I actually haven't done it for a month, probably I don't have anything on Coinbase anymore. Yeah, but, yeah, know, they started sending me SMS stuff. Right. I know I have the app that I used for a while was Google Authenticator, and I know I still have it, but I don't I don't remember what account it's for because I haven't used it in quite a while. So I think mostly I use SMS right now. But yeah, the point is it's just another factor of security because as long as everything goes smoothly, you should only be able to log into your account if you have if you know your password and you have your phone with you. And it's it's unlikely that anyone would be able to get a hold of both of those from you. It's possible, but unlikely. And also, don't keep your money in online wallets. Well, right. I, I read another, a little bit more on her thing. She yeah. said she had 30 Bitcoin stolen. <laughs> and I don't, I don't mean, it's way too much yeah. to have on an <laughs> online wallet. 
Yeah, just another another plug for offline wallets and off computer wallets even. I mean, we shouldn't have to remind anybody about Mount Gox. <laughs> and like that could really something like that could really happen with any company. Like you might think Coinbase is trustworthy or blockchain is trustworthy. But really, that could happen to anybody. Right. And yeah, because even if they are trustworthy, they could be hacked by someone that's not trustworthy. And so you, no matter how good a person they are, maybe it'll get stolen from them or something. So, And just, I, I guess I just want to say, like, part of the whole point of all this cryptocurrency stuff is so that you can keep your own money. That's like one of the main ideas behind the whole thing. So if you're... If you're buying all this coin and just leaving it in Coinbase, you're not really like using it for its intended purpose. Or if it gets stolen, I can't really feel that sorry for you because <laughs> you're kind of like ignoring one of the main uses for this. So just yeah, keep control of your own money. Put it on a paper wallet. Yeah, absolutely. And but even another thing worth mentioning there is that you also should not have it all on paper or at least not all on one paper wallet that's a dumb idea too i mean even if you make three copies of it and keep it in your safe and in your mattress or whatever i don't know where the safe place to keep them is but no matter what if it's all in one place it's also you could lose it all in one way yeah that that could happen so my recommendation is to keep really spread it out as much as possible now you don't want it so spread out that you start to lose track of it. I would say keep, I mean, this is just a random, not a random number, but a, a really rough guess. Maybe like 75% of the coins that you're probably not going to use anytime soon, that you're probably going to save for a while. Those could be on on a couple paper wallets. I, I don't know. Maybe, again, this is just a rough estimate. You can do whatever makes sense to you. But maybe three or four paper wallets that you put 75% of your coins on. Then you can keep maybe like 10% on your phone, maybe 10% in your Bitcoin QT wallet. Then maybe like 5% on Coinbase or whatever, or, or maybe a couple percent on a blockchain wallet, stuff like that. So, you know, you have a few paper wallets and then maybe three or four other wallets on different devices. And you keep, I would say, keep most of it on paper then that you know then that seems fairly secure to me and that should be safe it's not perfectly safe but it would be helpful to have it spread out like that yeah you were saying about it doesn't matter if it's coinbase or blotch i was just looking at uh davi barker's post from the daily anarchist he uh his stuff was taken from a, a blockchain wallet because he had never set up let's see if i get it right two factor authentication there we go. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. and so he had a little over eight bitcoins stolen from mostly the stuff he earned from going to pork fest hmm. but yeah don't yeah, do that's that rough. yeah i guess it's also worth saying that the ways that are secure right now are probably going to be improved in the future and what i mean by that is like there is multi-sig or like multi-sig setups that are really being developed right now. I haven't done a ton of research, but I don't know of any ways to do multi-sig that are super convenient right now. Like, I mean, I guess I haven't really looked, but I haven't really gotten into multi-sig yet because 
I don't think there are any really easy apps and secure apps to use or anything or websites or whatever. But as that becomes developed and everything, that is definitely something that would be even better than having a paper wallet. If you're able to split a private key three ways and have like a two out of three address, then you can just keep it in three different places. And then if somebody gets one, it's useless to them and you can secure the coins with the other two or anything like that. Uh, Or if you give the other keys to other people too, that way the coins can't be moved without two out of three people agreeing that they should be moved. Or actually you can also do any number. You could do three out of six. You could do six out of eight. Anything like that can be done. Again, I don't know of any super convenient ways to actually implement that right now, but I know it's all under development, so keep an eye out for that kind of thing in the future. And then one other thing that we wanted to talk about with kind of security and paper wallets and everything, I just found this today, which kind of surprised me because it looks like a really cool idea, and I thought I would have found it sooner. Uh, But anyway, there's a really cool device that I'm seeing that is under development. It's called Mycelium Entropy. Now, Mycelium is a an Android Bitcoin wallet. That's pretty cool. I'm pretty sure you use it, right, Tim? Yeah. I don't know if there's anything super special about it other than it's just a wallet that works well with Android. But this device was really cool when I saw it, and I'm probably going to get one. What it is, it's a little USB device. It looks just like a a flash drive, really. A pretty small flash drive, too. And what it does is inside, I mean, I'm sure it has a little bit of a computer or whatever, and it automatically generates a paper wallet, a secure, truly random, well, I don't know, truly random, but sufficiently random paper wallet. And it, what it does is it kind of makes it into a JPEG that shows up as a file on the device. So what you can do with it, the way you're supposed to use it is that you plug it directly into a printer, which can print from a flash drive. The printer will see the, well, I think it was a JPEG, but the image or whatever has the paper wallet on it. And you just click go and it prints it. It's super simple. All you do is plug it into a printer and it prints out a paper wallet. I thought that was amazing. There are some technical details about how the randomness works. But yeah, that just seemed like a really cool idea, just how easy it was to make a paper wallet. The old way, yeah, I guess you could say the old way of making a paper wallet is there were websites that you could go to and create the wallet and print it out from a computer. And those would work, but part of the issue is that that, those were online. You would have to go to the website to generate the key. And then that, you you know, as soon as you're online, you never know who could have access to that key or whatever. And then, yeah, sometimes people could, and you know, you could download the software or the website or whatever and run it offline. You could do that too. But even then you have to use your computer, which if it's a normal computer, it's probably been online at some point or it will be online again in the future. So even if you go offline to do all this paper wallet stuff, 
it still might not be completely secure unless you have a dedicated computer that stays offline permanently, and that's kind of a hassle too. So the idea that you could just have a little USB device that basically stays offline and does all this work for you, you don't have to download anything, you don't have to install anything, even just with a printer, it's you don't even really have to worry much about the printer. I mean, as long as it has a USB slot and can print JPEGs, you're good to go. So yeah, that just looked super convenient to me. One alternative that I did see a while ago was the Piper wallet. And yeah, that's Piper, not paper. But it's a that was a device based on the Raspberry Pi where it kind of had like a not a normal printer, but like a receipt printer was like built into a Raspberry Pi and it came with all the software pre-installed so that basically all you had to do was press a button and it would print out a paper wallet on the the receipt printer or whatever. And that's that's extremely similar to the way that this new mycelium entropy works. Because, yeah, that's also completely offline and it's also just kind of push a button and it prints a paper wallet. So that's really similar. The only difference is it's a lot bigger compared to just like a flash drive kind of thing. And it's also a lot more expensive. I think the uh, the Piper wallet runs around 200 bucks, and this Entropy, I don't know how much it will sell after it's produced, but with the Indiegogo campaign, uh, if you make a $40 donation, you'll get a device. So 40 bucks for this Entropy thing. So that's a really good price if you ask me for... You know, really, you just buy it once and you're good to go for as many paper wallets as you need. And you could even give it to friends, too, because, I mean, from what I understand, it just, as soon as you unplug it, the keys are wiped from memory. So you can use it as much as you want and share it around all the time and just print off wallets to your heart's content. So that seems pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've done the thing where you just... It's not too hard, like what you were saying, to use the online thing. You just download it onto the computer and make your own, just disconnect your computer from the internet completely and just make your stuff. But then it is a little bit annoying to have to do that and to have to make sure that everything's clean on the computer beforehand. I think this kind of just, for 40 bucks, it gives a little bit of peace of mind. Right. I remember listening to... uh it was the Bitcoins and Gravy episode two or three weeks ago where they went through a whole kind of tutorial with someone about how to do a paper wallet. And yeah, there are ways to do it that are pretty much completely offline and that are pretty much completely secure. But yeah, they just they are a lot more complicated. You have to download software. You have to install stuff. Some people, even with this tutorial, they even had to kind of completely install a an operating system, which is a huge hassle. I mean, yeah, it it does add security, but it's just so much work. Well, with this, just plug it in and push a button. So, yeah. And also, I see on this page, it does actually, like I was just saying about those two out of three addresses, this thing can actually create those for you, which is, (laughs) that's actually amazing. This is exactly the kind of convenient way that I was just talking about. Let me go ahead and, I'll just go ahead and quote this. From the very start, Mycelium Entropy will, in addition to supporting classic paper wallets, 
also support two of three split private keys using a technique called Shamir's secret sharing. This allows you to split a private key into three paper shares where any two of the three shares are needed to get access to your bitcoins. That way, if one of your shares gets lost or stolen, you can still combine the remaining two shares to get access to your funds. This is far superior to any password-encrypted private key scheme. Now, it does not say here, and this I wish I knew because I want to know, uh, but it doesn't say here how you actually redeem the keys then. I mean, if it's just one private key, I mean, I've done that before. You just take a picture of the QR code and upload it into a wallet, which, you know, multiple wallets support this, where you just upload a private key and you're, you can have the coins. But I don't see how you do that with two of three. I don't know if you just string two of them together and then upload that as a private key, or if you need a special software that will take two of them and combine it into a working private key. So yeah, I'm I'm not entirely sure how you redeem a two out of three key, but somehow you can do it. And I don't think it, I can't imagine it would be that difficult. So yeah. So we kind of alluded to this earlier, but just to make it clear, this is a, right now, the entropy device, the, the USB thing, it's not out yet, but they are doing an Indiegogo campaign it's called the Mycelium Entropy, and they still have 47 days left as of recording, which by the time this comes out, it will be a few less days than that. But yeah, you got a while still. If you're interested in contributing, I'm sure they would love it, and you can get yourself an Entropy device for $40, which, like we said, seems pretty reasonable for the peace of mind and the convenience of creating something that's actually pretty secure. Definitely. I I haven't yet, but I think I'm pretty much planning on doing that. Also, they're looking to raise $20,000 and they're they're only about $5,000 short right now, so they'll probably get to that goal. But I also saw there are some stretch goals they have listed here. They say if they get 30,000 instead of their 20,000 target, uh, if they get 30000 they're going to add Litecoin support as a downloadable feature, which I guess that'll just be another thing that you can install on it and you can make Litecoin private keys. They say at 40000 they will add the second more popular cryptocurrency by market cap. And at 60000 they'll add Dogecoin, so... Actually, considering how much they have already, I wouldn't be surprised if they did hit 60,000. So, if you want Dogecoin, get on it. And, and right, you're thinking about getting it at all and you want Dogecoin support, yeah, go for De- it. Yeah, definitely. You got to keep that Dogecoin safe. So, yeah, go and support them. I would say just go to indiegogo.com and Google Mycelium, or not Google, search Mycelium on Indiegogo. Or I'm sure if you Google it too, it'll show up. So find that and support them. You're listening to the You, Me, and BTC podcast. We need your help. 
First of all, we'd love it if you could check out our website, youmeandbtc.com. There you can find donation addresses for every single article and episode. And we'd love it if you could make use of those. We could also use some fans and followers, so if you're willing, please visit Facebook or Twitter.com slash youmeandbtc. Lastly, remember to subscribe to the show. You can do that on iTunes or sign up on our website to receive email updates. Thanks for your support. We were trying to figure out what we wanted to talk about today, and I came across this article. Uh, it was published July 7th, 2014, which is the day as we're recording now. The title of the article is, and you can find it on a few different websites. I'm looking from uh, Russia today. It says, Bitcoin busted, French police wind up... All right, that title doesn't make any sense. Basically, in France, the police made a raid on what they deemed to be an illegal Bitcoin trading network. And this is the first operation to bust a virtual money exchange in Europe. And it's the first raid where, like, Bitcoins were taken as, like, part of the crime or something. But uh, it's important to note that the Bitcoins were not the thing that was illegal. It was illegal because in France you need a certain license, which, I guess I'll just read that part. That's at the very end of it. But under French law, platforms that exchange Bitcoins and Euros have to be approved by the ACPR, the country's financial watchdog. However, police discovered that the website operated by the suspects had not been authorized. So they basically... The suspects who were, I mean, they were there when they were raided. They were a 27-year-old Tunisian who ran the website Trading in Bitcoins and his suspected accomplice, a 36-year-old Frenchman. Uh, They are both in custody. They are being investigated over alleged involvement in illegal banking, money laundering, and also illegally operating a gambling website. Which, money laundering seems to come up almost every single time someone gets arrested with anything having to do with Bitcoin. Say the website, which illegally sold and lent cryptocurrency to its users, had been used for at least 2,750 transactions with at least 2,500 bitcoins between November 2013 and July 2014, according to Radio France International. And, yeah, I guess the whole trading network was worth about 200,000 euro, which is about $272,000. So, I mean, it's a pretty big thing in France. Right. It says at the end that they are allowed to have Bitcoin exchanges in France, but they have to be approved. And they just, whatever this operation was, they just weren't approved. They just didn't have a license. So that's the only reason it was illegal. So I don't know. Well, I mean, it says also like the money laundering and the legal gambling website but that's just an investigation right now. I guess they haven't actually verified that. But we, I mean, we've talked about money laundering before on here with stuff, and it seems like they can pretty much just call anything they want money laundering. <laughs> right. Especially if it's regarding Bitcoin, because there's still just a lot of uncertainty about how how to deal with it legally. Right, exactly, yeah. I guess to anyone out there who is trading in Bitcoin, 
Uh, now, it's not like this in, in the U.S., but if we have any international listeners, just be very careful with trading the stuff. I mean, I guess these it's not like these guys were telling everybody, but... Did it even say how they were discovered? Oh, or Yeah, it came from a... According to the official, police were informed about the platform's existence by a retired policeman who bought Bitcoins on the site. Oh, wow. So, so some, basically, somebody yeah. actually used it and then, like, ratted on them. Yeah, I mean, it was an ex-cop, so what do you really expect from them? <laughs> but, what I don't get is why he bought some and then did it. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't Maybe know. just so they could say, see, they are doing it. They're not just faking, but I don't know. And while we're speaking about Bitcoins being seized and everything, which actually... We might want to keep our eyes on what happens with the Bitcoins that were seized in this one, because as most people know, the auction for the Silk Roads Bitcoins, the ones that were seized back when that was taken down in October of last year, right? Or around there, something like that. Yeah, that sounds about right, yeah. The auction had been being announced for a long time, and there was a lot of news on that, and there was the idiot who sent reply all out and gave out all the names of the people interested and it finally happens that and again most people listening by now would have already heard this that i believe it was tim draper who bought the bitcoins there's no word on how much he paid for them which some people are saying he must have got them like really really low just because of how it didn't affect the price a huge amount but i mean i don't know what i think about that well, I know uh, there were a few, some people revealed their bids, some of the losers revealed their bids, uh, which means, so we know it must have been higher, uh, but yeah, it's still the bottom line is we don't know the exact price. Some people even speculated that maybe he paid above market price just because, I don't know, maybe it was just more convenient to buy them all at once or something, or or not to use an exchange and things like that. So maybe it's even was worthwhile to pay above market price. Who knows? But one thing that people thought was a good thing was how they were all bought by one person. All the coins were divided into, I think, like nine or ten lots of, I forget, whatever, like 2,000 bitcoins or whatever, 3,000. So they could have been bought by multiple different people, but... No, they were all bought by... There was one person out there who wanted all those coins. And I remember some people saying that that was a good thing, just because that shows quite... If if one person wants this many coins, that just kind of shows some pretty good interest. And, you know, if, if he was hesitant or wasn't sure if he wanted the coins, he could have just got one or two lots. But no, he was committed and bought all of them. So I can see why that might be a good thing. Did you have an article on this, or were we just saying uh, stuff? I, mean, I, just, I just found one. At, I guess I can read the beginning of it. It's Wired. It's the VC who bought Silk Road's $19 million Bitcoin cash. Um, the nearly 30,000 Bitcoins auctioned off by the U.S. Marshals Service last week will be put to use building digital currency businesses outside of the United States. The Bitcoins are part of a massive cache of digital currency seized by the feds in connection with last year's bust of the Silk Road online drug marketplace. In a first, they were auctioned by the Marshals Service last Friday, but until today, nobody knew who had purchased them. Turns out the auction's winner was a venture capitalist, Tim Draper, and he's going to store them with a company he has invested in called Verum. 
This startup sells software and services to international companies that want to set up their own Bitcoin exchanges. So, yeah, I think it's definitely, I mean, it's good that it went to, I mean, at least it looks like it's going right back into the Bitcoin economy. And, I mean, I guess that would make sense. Someone is willing to put up that much money to get them. But it's not, like, going to, I don't know. I I can think of worse people that could have gotten it. So I'm kind of, I mean, that's fine with me, I guess. Yeah, it does kind of stink. I don't know. I don't think there was really any way that we could have gotten it back to the right people. I mean, those were stolen coins, and it it would have been nice if we could have returned them somehow, but that couldn't really be done without paying for them from the government. And whoever pays for them isn't going to want to just give them away to other people, so... That's what some people are saying is they, they wanted that guy to buy them all and then send them all to the free Ross thing for Ross Ulbrich's defense. Yeah, well, <laughs> that seems like a good idea, except really, if he did that, it would be just like him giving $19 million to, yeah. the, to yeah. the thing. And I, I don't think there are many people who want to give quite that much. I mean, it might be worth supporting for certain reasons, but I don't know if he would want to give that much. Yeah. Just to chime in, it is good that it's like going back into sounds like profitable things that could pay off for everybody, I guess. Or at least more people than just one or two. <laughs> right, right. If it's not going to go back to the to the original owners. Yeah, I mean, I guess some people were kind of... I guess I heard some people saying how, you know, they might look down on anybody who would buy stolen property and like some people might be like why would you buy those you know they were stolen from all these people and some people see that as a bad thing but and yeah it is it's a bad thing that they were stolen but i mean like we said the government's not going to give them back so yeah. <laughs> the only alternative is to let the government keep them and either they sit there and do nothing well actually that that would be the only thing because if they use the coins for anything then could make the same argument. Well, why would you accept those stolen coins? So yeah, basically the only alternative is for the government to literally do nothing with them if nobody ever bought them. I guess if if like the private keys were legitimately destroyed, that actually might have been an interesting thing to do because then I think we might have mentioned this on the show before, but if not, it's worth saying. You know, if if private keys get destroyed, it's almost like you're dividing up those coins equally among everything that's left. And here, here's what I mean by that. You know, there's supposed to be 21 million Bitcoins ever. And just to make the math easy, let's say each Bitcoin was worth a dollar. So then there's 21 million Bitcoins and there's a $21 million market cap. So it's kind of one to one. Well, if all of a sudden half of those coins disappear, that means you still, you know, by accident or for whatever reason, then you still have the 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 market cap should stay roughly the same because the currency hasn't changed. It's still usable for the same things and the same reasons. So the market cap is still going to be around 21 million dollars, but the number of coins that that has to get distributed among is half that. So then each coin then becomes worth $2 in order to reach that market cap. Now, in the real world, 
it wouldn't balance out that perfectly. But the point is, if your coins get destroyed, that just gives more value to other coins. That's the main point there. It doesn't work out as smoothly as what I said, but that's basically what happens. So actually, I think, I don't think we could have trusted the government to do this, and I don't think we should have, and I don't think they actually should have done this. But yeah, it would have been interesting. They could have destroyed the private keys, and in a way that would have been like making a donation to everyone else who has Bitcoins, because they would then be that much more valuable. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a pretty interesting thought. It seems to make sense to me, I guess. Yeah, I just wouldn't understand why the government would do that. Right. And he, that's and most it, of the reason why they do these raids is to get money. And no, my worst fear would be that, or not my worst fear, but what I kind of would expect is that they would say that they destroyed the keys, but they wouldn't really, and somebody might steal them at some point, or they might do stupid stuff, and... I wouldn't trust them to actually destroy the keys, which is part of the reason that I wouldn't want to see that happen. Yeah, it gets kind of hard when you're talking about, like, something that the government's stolen. And, yeah, I heard a lot of people saying, like, they should boycott it. But, you, I mean, not that I like the argument that says, oh, well, someone else is going to do it, so you should just do it. I mean, I wasn't going to buy them just because I don't have that much money. <laughs> but I don't think you can really go after someone who... Like, they bought it from the person... No one's going to go after the government for it, so it's not like, well, you bought it before we had a chance to get them back in a in a, a way and return them to everyone. No one's going to go after the government to stop them. No one's going to take them to court over it, so... I don't see how you can really criticize someone who does that. Before we finish up, uh, we wanted to mention real quick the interviews that we've been releasing, you know, every few days for the past week or so. You know, since the Bitcoin and the Beltway conference, we got a lot of cool interviews then. And, yeah, we've been releasing them. Uh, We've put out Andreas Antonopoulos, which I mentioned a little bit ago. There was a Made Safe interview. There was an interview with BTC Jam that came out i think one or two others and we also have a jeffrey tucker interview that is not released yet an interview with the fiva guys and their fiva wallet that's not out yet either but we just wanted to remind you all to keep an eye out for those to look into those and listen to those they're really interesting we had an awesome time at the conference that was the bitcoin in the beltway conference in washington dc which we also want to thank our sponsors for helping get us to that conference. We, I mean, we just plain couldn't have done it without a little bit of help. So we're really grateful to API Coin and Monero, our two sponsors. Tim, you want to explain what Monero is? Yeah. I mean, I don't have that great of a technical understanding of a lot of this stuff, but Monero, it's a very privacy-centric cryptocurrency. It uh, uses the CryptoNote technology. And mostly I'm going off of what, like I said, because I don't have that great of a technical background, but they say that two of the main features of CryptoNote are its ring signatures that mask like the sender identifications or identities by mixing and they, the use of one-time keys that make transactions unlinkable. 
So you combine those two and you get this really high degree of anonymity without too much of an extra effort on your part. CryptoNote and anything built with that just has, it's that kind of anonymity is just way beyond Bitcoin. Uh, what Bitcoin can do right now, like just by design, it's way more anonymous than Bitcoin. It's that's what it's built for, where Bitcoin isn't isn't built for that. But we talk a lot about anonymity on here and why making transactions more anonymous can be very useful and very desirable. So if you're someone who that interests, definitely check out Monero and look at getting into mining that or just uh, picking up some someplace. I know, Daniel, you're mining Monero right now. How's that going for you? Right, yeah, I mean... The reason I started mining is because they said that the graphics card mining and the CPU mining is about one-to-one right now. So I feel comfortable knowing that I can actually mine a reasonable amount with my computer and I don't need to have all this extra stuff. So yeah, I I think I have almost two coins. Just I don't mine 24-7 just because I do it on my normal computer. But yeah, I just do it for fun and it's been pretty cool. I mean, I can tell that the difficulty has been going up because my profit has slowed, but yeah, I just do it for fun. And if you are looking at investing maybe a little bit, as always, just be careful and make sure you're not putting your life savings into something like this. But yeah, if you you know, if you want to invest a little bit, now might be a good time because they are on a bit of a dip. I know they the price had been as high as nine millibits. And now it's down near three point something. So, yeah, there's a bit of a dip. And if you want to buy, it might be a good chance to look into that. Just, of course, do your research and everything. But, yeah, look into that. We also want to thank our other sponsor. That was API Coin, like we said. It's kind of interesting. The Our sponsor that sounds like a coin isn't actually a coin. And our sponsor that doesn't sound like a coin actually is a coin. Uh, but anyway, yeah, API coin is an API, not a cryptocurrency, but it's really cool. It's it's an API for Bitcoin. They can run the blockchain for you and kind of handle information for you. And they have like watch-only wallets and it will notify you when one of your addresses gets funded or gets a payment or whatever, but they never request your private keys. And that's really important. They like to be secure and private and everything. So you never have to send them your private keys, but they can do watch-only wallets, which is great for if you have a, like if you sell stuff online or any kind of project that deals with transactions, it's good for that. It'll notify you. But I mean, that's just one use case though. It's a really fully featured API, something you definitely want to look into. If you do have a, a Bitcoin product or a service. I know the creator, he's been in Bitcoin for over three years, so he really knows what's going on. And I, you know, I've seen him tweeting quite a bit about how he wants to work with like anybody, if you have an ATM that you're developing or any kind of project, if you're working on like an Android wallet or even an iPhone wallet, uh, because they're starting to allow those. That's the kind of people he wants to work with. If you have a project or a service in Bitcoin. He's a really good entrepreneur, and he's he's really ready to work for you. He can design his API to do what you need it to do because he's still creating it and developing it, and he just really wants to work with people. So, yeah, that's definitely something you want to look into. 
really secure, really private, really great guy. So he knows what he's doing and he can really benefit you. So check that out. Thanks for listening to episode 28. All of the music in today's show was written and recorded by John Stewart. Remember to send us a tweet so we can read it on the show. And also check out our brand new YouTube channel by searching for You, Me, and BTC on YouTube. We'll see you next Thursday.